This is episode number two of the Easy Peasy Sourcing podcast. Today on the show, I've got Neil and Karen from the Private Label University, and these two have a combined experience of dealing with physical products and sourcing products overseas of over 52 years. And that is amazing. These two have so much knowledge to share. And we've in this in this interview, we're basically talking about how private label has evolved and how sourcing in China became popular all of a sudden. It hasn't been a thing that was around for a long time. So these two are sharing so much of knowledge that we can all learn from and make our own sourcing process a little bit easier and also understand the culture a little bit behind um China behind sourcing products overseas, behind the difference between China and Hong Kong and Taiwan and all other different countries where you can also source your products from. So I'm very happy to welcome Neil and Karen to the show. Sourcing in China is easy peasy. I'm your host Niels and I show you how to source products the right way. You deserve to live in China without headaches, so keep listening. Neil and Karen, welcome to the show. This is the Easy Busy Sourcing Podcast with Neil and Karen from the Private Label University today. So welcome to the show. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What's your background? And what's the Private Label University? So thanks for having us here. Um, Neil and Karen Gwartzen from the Private Label University. Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been in the private label and physical product industry for over 35 years. And I guess I've been very fortunate in um, being involved in a family business uh, that's been around for over 60 years, where my father was uh, manufacturing and importing products. And this is back in the 60s. So when it really wasn't a popular thing to do, uh, based in Canada, he was importing a lot of products from Europe and then from there started to import products from Taiwan and from Hong Kong. Uh, we actually had a, an office set up in the 70s um, in Taiwan, Hong Kong. And um, so I was always been around the idea of working with physical products, private labeling, uh, and, of, and of course, manufacturing products overseas, as opposed to just having them uh, from local companies or going through distributors. Um, we've worked with a lot of the chain stores from Walmart, Hobby Lobby, Michaels, Toys R Us, um, even some of the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, we've been very involved in private labeling products for them as well. So not only resourcing products for them, but we were actually asked to private label products um, for a lot of the chain stores as well as independent retailers. Uh, from then it grew a lot of the other manufacturers um, as well as importers uh, contacted us because we started to really set our roots um, in overseas companies. And the great thing was we also had our own brands that we private labeled, and we had those products that were being sold in a lot of the retail stores and retail chain stores, as well as the importers that wanted those. So um, being involved in that for so many years was uh, a big advantage to me growing up. Um, the nice thing now, we're also best-selling authors. Um, we have a book out, very popular and uh, also going to be available on Amazon. 
So being involved in products my whole life uh, kind of gave me the advantage. Um, being from Canada, we actually, as I mentioned earlier, in the 70s uh, was situated in Taiwan. And I would actually take Taiwanese companies and officials into mainland China uh, to learn about products. So uh, it's been a great opportunity over the past uh, 35 plus years, uh, not only being able to travel, but working directly uh, overseas uh, with companies in China, in Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, uh, throughout Europe, uh, South America, and of course, we're working with retail operations and manufacturers in all of those countries um, and private labeling products. Thank you, Neil, for your intro. I think that was awesome. And we would have lots of topics just from that intro that we could pick already and make whole episodes about it. So I feel like you guys have to come back already and we have to do many, many, many more of episodes with you on the show. <laughs> We've, I've got lots of stories from every country. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you do. And we're definitely going to come back to that. I'd love to hear a little bit about Karen first, though. Do you mind to introduce a little bit about yourself? I'm very keen to hear what you got to say. So I'm Karen Gwartzman, and uh, my story is not as colorful as Neil's. Um, however, I started private labeling products almost 17 years ago. I had um, the best job in the world. I was looking after our children. Uh, Neil and I are a husband and wife team. And I had the best job looking after our children. However, my job did not pay well. And we had just uh, moved from uh, Canada to the US and we needed another source of income. So I had a great idea for a product. I knew nothing about products, knew nothing about selling products. And uh, I just happened to be very lucky to be married to the guru um, in the industry, someone who has been um, pr uh, private labeling products for some of the largest chain stores in the world, as Neil had mentioned. And so I reached out to Neil and I said, will you help me create this product and um, help me get it out to the world? And so that's what he did. He taught me, who knew nothing about products, knew nothing about selling, how to find a product, how to put my brand on it, and how to launch it to the world. And from that, I created my very first private label business. And I never looked back. It's very addicting. And um, when you see what you can do and the control and the people that you um, interact with and change lives through products, it's pretty amazing. And together, what we decided to do was we've had so many people ask us, how do you do that? Can you show me how to do what you teach, you know, the retail chain stores, what Neil had taught me? And so Neil and I together created the Private Label University a community um, where we teach entrepreneurs, coaches, service providers, online sellers, how to find products, put their brand on them, and share them with over 200 million people shopping on Amazon. So we've used our background, which includes three decades of private labeling products, and we've been sharing the secrets to pri the private label business model um, that these big chain stores have been using and not sharing. So we've been sharing them with others. And our goal is to share with entrepreneurs so that they have that same advantage. I mean, some of our clients who are coaches or service providers are adding products now to their businesses. And it's helping them grow at such uh, fast speeds by um, adding products. It's been helping them build their brand and attracting so many more clients around the world that they could not reach otherwise. 
And at the same time, it's helping them add another uh, stream of revenue. So it's pretty, um, it's been a pretty amazing journey and being able to, to reach so many entrepreneurs around the world. Thank you, Karen. I love the fact that you say that you became kind of addicted to private labeling and helping people to improve their lives with better products. I think we always forget that, right? I mean, we all are in business mainly to earn a lot of money, right? But I think we always forget that we are here and creating great products to improve the life of others. So I think it's a very important point that we often forget. So now lots of our listeners I know are pretty young and don't have 52 years of experience in that business, but more, more or less 52 months. So I'd love to hear you guys on a little bit on the differences on how it used to be doing these business and starting private labeling products and how it is now? What is the biggest difference to that? Well, years ago, um, I'll have Neil talk more specific about the private labeling process, but years ago, it was very difficult to uh, create a personal brand and get it out in front of people because the only uh, resources you had were to get it into brick and mortars. And you had to really have the connection and the credibility of the product before you can actually get in front of buyers. With the launch of Amazon, Amazon has given entrepreneurs of all ages to create their own personal products and uh, launch a business online. They've given that opportunity for people to do that. And, you know, another thing is years ago when you were uh, creating a, a private label product and you needed to get inventory in and be able to uh, service clients, you had to you had to have a warehouse. So that costs money. You had to have staff and shipping and shipping department. You had to have all these other things in place that cost money. So the cost of starting a business back then um, compared to actually going on Amazon, which covers a lot of those costs and takes care of a lot of those things, um, when you when you weigh them together, I mean, it's so much more affordable now to be able to start a business online using Amazon than in the olden days, as we call it, where you had to actually um, have a warehouse and and stock the inventory. Yeah, it it really has changed in in the perspective that. Typically, when someone opened a business years ago, um, their business was, of course, a brick and mortar. And so you based your business, you looked at the surrounding area, you look at the uh, the region you're going to open and you make sure you weren't going to have a lot of competition. Um, and you opened a business that was fairly unique to that area. So, you, of course, you could sell your product and be successful. But you also relied on distributors and importers um, to support to supply that product to you. So of course you were going to take on name brand products. You weren't going to try something that was totally new. Um, you know, you may have a majority of your products were going to be what's selling now. So if they walked into another store similar to yours, another city, you would have that similar product that was now available to uh, your local uh, consumer. Um, and if someone came to you with a, a totally new product or a similar product that had no name to it and no history to it, you'd probably look at it and say, well, why would I want it? Nobody knows about it. Um, and I think the nice thing, the, the great opportunity today is because of Amazon and actually because of even people like Sam Walton who started Walmart, you know, Sam Walton looked at the products that were out there. He had all the name brands, but he thought if I'm having this amount of, of traffic through my doors, buying the name brands, let me slowly introduce my brand. Let me introduce something that I'm buying in huge volumes that's basically gray label. I'll slap a label on it. The, pro the, the margins will be 
30 to 40 times better and let's see if I can make a go with it. So just a really quick break because this one is actually really, really important. So with almost every episode, I'm doing something to help you out. I'm creating something, some resource, whether it's a cheat sheet, a list that you can download, anything that can help you can shortcut your sourcing success. I try to come up with all the different stuff that could be really useful for you. So all the resources are exclusively there for easy peasy sourcing community members. It's a totally free community. Just head over to easypeasysourcing.com slash free. You can sign up, you get today's resource, and you're going to automatically get all the new resources that I'm going to be launching in the future. Today, I have a free cheat sheet for you that guides you through the six phases of sourcing in China. Uh, it includes tips and tricks for every step of your sourcing journey. So if you want to go get it and you're not a member yet, head over to easypeasysourcing.com slash free to download it. If you are signed up, then your cheat sheet will be in your account waiting for you already. That's it. Let's go back to today's episode of the Easy Peasy Sourcing Podcast. And as those products started to sell just as much and his margins were much more, much greater, he'd now say, I'm going to actually give more space to some of these products that I'm buying in bulk that I can private label as opposed to just the name brands. He'll always keep the name brands, but introduce so many other private label products that the typical consumer doesn't know about because they see it in his big store and they see it in more of his stores. They figured it's a name brand. And I think typically years ago, when you heard of private label products or when it was stores or companies were private labeling their products, it was known as a discount product. So people knew that if they bought a private label product, they bought it at a lesser cost. Now, the mentality has changed that private labeling now is just so it, it, people aren't looking so much for the brands, but more for the product and the quality. And so now um, I think it's more of an advantage for someone starting in the private label industry because now the mentality of the consumer has changed that you can um, charge more for a certain private, for a private label brand because I think now the mentality is not that you're going to get a cheaper product, you're actually going to get a better quality product. Well, thank you for that little, let's call it history lesson, because also for me, in, in, I'm in my 20s. So for me, this is something that I don't understand. I never had this. And I think lots of people are underestimating all the benefits that you're having today. I mean, it's as you mentioned, and I'm, I'm very glad that, that you're sharing this, that you had to have a warehouse and an office and payrolls and you had to have all these long times that it took to actually develop a product and build a product and you know all these little things developing trust with the supplier and being more affordable and having all these big expensive if you're not a huge brand and then the shift of the mind and i think that's something really important that to understand that the buyer's mind today shifted and yes Walmart, i agree took a part in that as well and i think it's great that this market shift has been there because now people don't trust these big corporations anymore who have you know where, where shareholders come first and then the customer comes later but the buyers know now that small brands and brands they haven't heard of are not necessarily bad but an opposite they potentially be better because they are the ones that are keeping more care of the customer and that are keeping more care to have a good quality product. So how was it then after this market shifted a little bit? 
or this market starting to shift. How did it happen that, or how did it get started to buy or to go away from the local purchase to buy locally and sell locally, but to buy globally to move to Asia to buy your products? How did that start without having Alibaba? How do you do that? I mean, do you just fly in and walk around and have a look, you know, knock on doors of factory and see where you're going? How did that work? I'm very, very curious about that. So I think the key was um, starting in Europe. So buying a lot of products from the UK, from Germany, um, from Italy, from France, really, again, staying specific in um, what our business um, was designed to sell. What would happen was we'd, we'd, for example, we'd have a product from the UK. It would be a very popular product. A lot of retailers would take it on. And we'd see that it was a product, let's say, that was made out of wood. And at the time, of course, Taiwan was more of the developing manufacturing um, area of, of uh, Asia. And so we'd say, well, we're getting this product from, from the UK. Can we get it done at a lower cost? Because the rate of the sales were so strong. Of course, the, the main thing is you want to keep up to the quality. As you mentioned, you, know, you want to make sure that uh, the, the customer, the stores, the retailers are going to be happy and it's going to be consistent. So slowly going into Taiwan, where there was a lot of uh, cottage industries of wood makers, um, but very skilled ones. And we found a lot of them were shipping uh, some of the, I'm going to call it pre-made products into Europe. Um, they were going into Germany. Uh, they were going into parts of uh, the UK and to Italy. Um, and because of that, we thought, well, why don't we have more of the products built there? So uh, this is back in the 70s. My father started traveling to Taiwan, working with some of these skilled, we're going to call them cottage makers, because they were um, carpenters, uh, skill, uh, skilled people in crafts, engineers. Um, and we'd show them the product we had. And we'd say, you know, can you make something similar? And nothing happened overnight. It's not like China now where you can send a product and within you know one week you have a sample. For us, it would sometimes take three or four months before we get a finished sample because the Taiwanese wanted to make sure it was perfect. They wanted to make sure it was sanded properly. Um, every edge was, was uh, perfect. It was measured properly. Um, oh, it's so cool. What comes to mind for me here is when you're saying you needed three or four months to get a sample – I have the people in mind who complain on the Facebook groups and think, wow, this supplier is nuts. He want to charge me $50 for a sample. You know, I don't want to imagine what cost you had actually when you had to go to the country and when you actually had to be there and do all of these stuff and $50 was nothing. I mean, for to get a sample, $50. For, now, for these days, I mean, you pay $50 and you have a sample within a week. And that's really, really great. And we always forget about that and we never appreciate what happened. And also, I love that advantage back then that you guys had that these quality advantage, you know, even though it takes longer time, but you have a product that looks really good. You know, it's not like now you send out a request for a sample and you order a red sample and then they send you a pink sample just because it's good enough. You know, like that's close enough. Doesn't matter. Send it. And I love that that change in also in faith. You know, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a lot about faith and the change of faith also in Asian countries. Yes. And, and the level of, again, they wouldn't want to, they didn't want to lose face. Sending out that sample that didn't look perfect um, was something they'd be embarrassed about. And I remember sitting in the factory, we had our own small wood factory and my father would go over there and we started to hire 
um, specific people in Taiwan to oversee it. And so after a while, my father couldn't keep traveling in, so he'd send me in. So that was kind of my launch into Taiwan. And again, sitting there for hours, they'd have even, you know, um, I remember a guy would sit there with a, a magnifying glass, a large one, even wearing glasses, just to make sure the grain was the same. So if the wood had a knot in it or it wasn't the same, it would be removed and he'd start over again. And I'd say to my father, you know, this is going to take too long. He said that if that's if they're going to feel comfortable, you can't rush them. And I think that's where when mainland China was introduced, of course, the Taiwanese knew that the workforce, the labor force was in mainland China. And a lot of the large factories were moving to mainland China, but it was difficult for them because, of course, Taiwan was operating uh, as a separate country. And I think that's where a lot of people would say, oh, you're getting it in China. Oh, it, it's really cheap and you can get it done really fast. Well, Taiwan wasn't that way. And I think that's why I still have a, a a love for Taiwan and working with Taiwanese companies, because even the Taiwanese companies who have set up in China want to make sure that they're not losing that um, flair, that history of having a good Taiwanese product. Even if some of the products are processed in China, then shipped into Taiwan, they want to make sure it's going to leave there and saying made in Taiwan, not just People's Republic of China or in, uh, from China. So for me, that was seeing how China operates, and then from there, working with Hong Kong agencies and export companies, again, to see what they're looking for. Because, of course, the Hong Kong looked for more flair, more style, more designs. They want to look at the good packaging. You know, of course, the history of Hong Kong is having the greatest of packaging. So the four-color process of printing would be done in Hong Kong, not necessarily in uh, Taiwan. Um, and so moving products from Taiwan to Hong Kong, where the final packaging would be done, um, again, that was uh, pre-mainland China. I think it's interesting how that didn't shift like overnight to China, but how it how Hong Kong had that impact of, as you say, you know, that design and changing products and having that good packaging design going from there and then process to China. I think that's very interesting. When again was that? Just just for me for the record. When what what time frame was that? That was back in so for me the first time was 1986. Uh, and and it was very tough. Well I believe that was tough. I mean even I've thought it's tough to be in China five years ago and to come and to be in the factory areas and no one kind of speak English just you know inside of the factories people do speak English but you're still on your own and you still have to grow a lot but back then it must have been crazy like how was it language wise how did you do with a visa and also I know that uh, from interviews of Jack Ma who founded Alibaba and Taobao and all of that um, he said that the biggest challenge he had is to establish trust right to have the connection between the western and the chinese factories to or the western buyers and chinese factories to establish a trust in between that how was that for you yes so again uh, being from canada i'm a canadian um i think there was a little more uh, open doors especially for in, in taiwan hong kong uh being from canada and not from the us and and no disrespect to people in america but With Canada, um, I had a long-term visa traveling back and forth into China, whereas the Americans couldn't. And I think the Americans saw me as kind of a, a way for them, an inside track, because I was able to travel freely back and forth uh, into Asia. Um, 
But I, I, I think you're right. For me, again, the communication barrier was very tough initially because uh, even in Taiwan, um, the factory workers spoke no English. So it was almost like I was set back into primitive days. I would have a big chalkboard and I'd be drawing everything in pictures and then explaining to um, a person from Taiwan who actually had studied in the UK. And back then he was in his late 50s. And so he was a lot older than myself. Um, and he would do some of the translation being again, being immersed in it. I was, of course, able to pick up some Cantonese, um, some Taiwanese, some of the basic, um, um, you know, it's too big. It's small this way, that way. Um, enough words that um, um, uh, that Tom and Ming Bai. So for them to understand, it was, it was they could understand um uh, I would say EDR, EDR, um, uh, so for them, even it was almost like I was their English teacher. So the nice thing was they grew to love me because I was helping them learn what North America was looking in products and also learning some of the language, learning basic terms, even when they would have, they'd want to advertise in some of the, um, catalogs. I didn't even call them catalogs. They were flyers for products that uh, companies in Hong Kong or Taiwan would advertise. And the language they printed out in English would be horrendous. It would make absolutely no sense. Yeah, I can tell you that's still like that. So maybe maybe it's not to completely not making sense, but a lot of times it's not really making anything. There's typing mistakes and everything. But that's just a, a thing of mentality. And that's, you know, they're going to learn. And everyone is evolving and china is evolving in, in a very very high speed and i think we as westerners as western culture always saying we have um or we, we are the one and everyone else comes after us and it's really not true in terms of china in, in a lot of points and if you see if you hear and you feel the change even though even in the short five years i've been here there's massive change there's massive change inside of china i think china is locking up a little bit like they are more producing for themselves now um, people can afford many many more things there's a huge wealth in gain whether it is through businesses that have involved or through governments that have paid the owners to leave the house or, or to board houses to build new skyscrapers or whatever and there's huge wealth and the salaries are increasing like crazy so everyone is able to afford more you can afford more living space you can afford different luxury things beauty brands are huge um cars and all the stuff that is huge and i think we always forget that and we think okay in china everyone drives a bicycle and that's not true you know like that I, i i think i've not seen a bicycle without a motor without an electric motor for a long time you know that's it, we imagine always those things to be like one way And don't know the other way, you know. So I think that's that's big. And, and I think that's a that's a great point that you just made because again, people tend to forget, especially living in in America. They think America is the biggest place in the world. Look at China, you know, and the population and what they have to feed within their own domestic population is huge. And so the people there. They have a passion for new things. They want to buy nice products. They want to buy, you know, very materialistic. Chinese like to have new things, good things, and spend money. And a lot, a lot of the manufacturers there that are building up private label brands 
are just supplying the domestic market. They don't even look towards North America because they have a huge population to, to service there, including Taiwan and India and South Korea and Japan, all the Asian countries alone. That's a huge business for them. So North America and Europe are great. It's gravy. It's gravy for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I had a very, very different perception before I arrived in China, before I got to know the, or before I got to know the culture and the country and the people. You always have one set mindset. I think most people do, and it's just it's not it's just a natural thing. Everyone has their fixed mindset, and things are how you think they are. And only if you go out and you start experiencing and opening up to different suggestions and to different cultures then you can start to grow yourself and then you can start to learn and with that understanding you make your life much easier so i encourage everyone who is dealing in china and that means every private label seller who is buying things in china you should have a look come to china and make a look for yourself or get yourself an impression on how it actually is because i know it for myself you have one perception you know china okay everyone is riding their bicycle and you know it's not true you have the ferraris and lamborghinis on a, on a five-lane street and that's that's a very different perception and when you're here and when you see it for the first time i think it's stunning and it's very it's something that you don't expect and with that with that understanding of the culture it's much much easier to do the business in the country and i and i have to i have to agree i mean The most important thing of business and doing business, especially when you're doing international business, is relationship. Just like what you said, it's relationship and understanding the culture. And that's one of the reasons why we have integrated into our business, too. If you are planning to do business overseas, whether it's in China or Taiwan or wherever it is, We encourage you to go and meet your manufacturer, go to the, the, the country and, and really get to know the culture. So one of the things we do is we do a live event in China. And part of the training um, at our event is to really understand what business is like over there, because it's very different doing business overseas than it is doing business in your own country. And relationship is one of the things we really, really uh, focus on, culture, relationship, um, community communicating and, and uh, negotiating and, and understanding the language because what means something in a translation there is very has a very different meaning. And again, this will affect relationships. So, you know, we encourage anyone, if you are planning to start a business with products and you are working overseas, again, just like you said, understand the culture and take the time to go you know, it's, it's an investment in your business. And that's why we do, we, you know, we hold it around the Canton fair. So we do our training and then go into the fair. And that's one of the reasons why we do that. So that our, you know, our students can really understand what is, uh, what it's about because it's, it's, you know, a lot of people don't realize when you go to China, it is magnificent there and, um, building the relationship within for your business is so important. It's great that you're pointing that out again. And again, also for the fairs, for anything, if you come to China, you should educate yourself a little bit. And I'll put all that information. I love that you're actually offering that and that you say, okay, if you want to come to China, we are here and we have a course and we teach you something and you can learn and make your life easier. And I love that, you, that you're that you open to this opportunity and that you're actually hosting events in China. 
And as you know, and as you know, like being to to the fairs as well, that I mean, a lot of people will go to the fairs and they don't get a lot accomplished at the fairs because they just don't have that that education about how to navigate, how to negotiate, what the culture's like, how to communicate, how to build those relationships. And again, that's one of the reasons why right before the fair live in China, we go through all that so that you have success in the fair because you can go to any fair, but if you don't know and have that knowledge behind you, it could be difficult, as you know. I think if I would be just starting out and, and coming to China to the show the first time, I'd love to join an event like that and, and actually learn from it. So now in the introduction, there was also, it was mentioned, I mean, we, we could talk about the fears and everything for, for hours, okay? And I'm sure we're going to do that and I'm going to have you on again. However, now I love to speak about other things. I want to speak about your book. Um, I, I mentioned it in the intro. You mentioned it in the intro that you guys are authors now. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that book? Uh, sure. So um, we have taken all the knowledge um, that we uh, teach to our students around the world. And we understand that not everyone can be with us live and uh, get onto all our webinars. So what we have done is we have formulated um, our online training program called the Import Success Formula Program. And basically what it is, um, it's like 50 plus modules that are short, um, short and sweet and walk you through the step-by-step -step process of starting a business from scratch. So with products. So basically we walk you through the five-step process of teaching you how to start your business, how to find a product, how to find suppliers, how to get them to you or to Amazon, and then how to launch on Amazon. And we dive into some, you know, we get, uh, we have um, our, our team that's available um, in the modules as well. We have our uh, Susie Hickson, who's a private label lawyer, who uh, is part of our uh, private label university team, teaches, you know, all about trademarks and patents and startups. I mean, we leave nothing out. We literally give you that, um, the roadmap and uh, that blueprint of what a business should look like in the private label industry using that model of private labeling products. And we walk you through the process. So it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing uh, program. And it's really for anyone who's looking to either start a, a business around products or add products to their business. And one of the things that we really, really try to um, encourage people, especially if you're a service provider or a coach or an online business that don't have products in your business, is to add a product with your brand in your business because it helps you attract way more clients and on a global level especially when you are launching on Amazon. I mean, 200, uh, there's over 200 million shoppers on Amazon. So you can get products exposed and launched to so many other people around the world and introduce your brand and your services to them. So it's a great way of building um, a, a business as well by adding products. So that's one of the things that we do. Um, another thing is we go live, as I mentioned, um, to China. We take groups right to China. We do a live training and then we um, enter into the Canton Fair. We do it around the Canton Fair so that 
after training, our students have access to work with over 60,000 uh, suppliers. Things. Yeah, suppliers at the fair. So they are prepared to go in and work, know how to negotiate. We have our team that comes in to China um, and meet us there and everyone is paired off. We have had um, huge success with our, our live China events. Um, everyone has had 100% success in finding a product, finding a supplier, and um, getting ready to launch their businesses on Amazon or in their uh, brick-and-mortar stores or online. So that's been really great. Um, and we have just launched our um, first book called Private Label Secrets. Um, you can find it on Amazon. And it's, uh, it's basically teaching you our five-step process to private labeling and showing you how easy this system is that anyone can do it. I mean, we have um, our kids. We have a 14-year-old who launched his very first private label business with as little as $500. And um, we are so proud. And so we talk a little bit about him in the book, too, and his story. And uh, it's a great read and and gives you basically the steps that you need to um, launch your business. Well, I think that's amazing, even though he had he had proper guidance by you guys. But I think that's amazing. And I would have loved to start a business back in that age, because back in that age, you're in school and you're learning everything that you're supposed to learn, all the, all the basics, right? But school never teaches you anything about the real life and what, what actually, you know, how to calculate your your, your, your taxes and, and all that stuff and uh, or, or how to calculate to get a loan, you know, what is a what are the percentages there and how does the whole thing work? And I think it's great to get your foot into life and what could be better than being an entrepreneur and starting a business. And I think by doing that, you learn much, much more than any apprenticeship could give you in years. So to dive in at that young age, I wish I would have done that. Actually, I mean, it's nothing bad of having a job and everyone who, who, who has a job is happy with that and that, that's fine. And However, I think that once you're starting to do your own business, you never want to go back. You know, you, you enjoy that freedom and you enjoy, even though it, it's a lot of hassle in the beginning and it, it can take a lot of your time and your effort and your money and all of that, but it, it really works to, to do that. And starting at an age of 14, that's awesome. I love that. So I, I think what you were talking about, you know, when we were talking about our son at the age of 14, you know, starting a private label business. And I think the thing is, we all deep down inside have that entrepreneur in us. I think it's just in our DNA. We were all supposed to do something, you know. Uh, release that entrepreneur, as I always say. You know, uh, part of my story is I I always, by my, in my heart, was an entrepreneur. And, you know, the old school of thinking, and, you know, I guess I, I, I blame my parents in some respect, that was, you know, go to school, get a profession, you know, and, and get to work and work hard. And that's kind of what the mentality was um, years ago. And I know that everyone deep down inside has that entrepreneur in them. And it's really scary when all this experience and past experience and, and people have always told you your whole life, go get a job, go get a job. Being an entrepreneur is scary. You may not have, you know, it's too, it's too risky. 
But the fact is, it actually is not. It is so rewarding um, on a personal level and, and a spiritual level and a mental level. But at the same time, you're doing something with um, that that's that's personal to you that you can grow with and and make money with. And people are doing that, and you're seeing it more and more now. So many entrepreneurs coming out and releasing that entrepreneur in them. I mean, years ago, you went to business school; they taught you business, and these are the core. If you said that, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, they would laugh. You were like the bum on the street, right? Well, also that changed now, right? I mean, if you if, if you're at young age and you're just getting out of school and you tell people, hey, I'll buy stuff and tell that's awesome, right? I mean, you're loved already for that. Everyone is very interested into that and how you do it, and everyone thinks it's a big, big challenge. Yeah. And the schools now, even Harvard, the big schools, they're adding entrepreneurship as as a program, as a course. Because that's where it is. It's being true to who you are. And we all have that entrepreneurs in us. So a piece of advice, listen to what is true for you. And it's okay. Yes, it's going to be scary because we, we've been trained to, to not, uh, to suppress it. You know, we've been trained to suppress that feeling and to, to, to go in a route that may seem more secure, but Our advice really is to release that entrepreneur, take that leap because it's so much greener on the other side. Well, I couldn't have said that better, that it's always greener on the other side. And I absolutely agree with it. I would never go back to having a job again, but I love to have the own business and to have all that great feeling every day you stand up, but you, you, you have a cause that you're fighting for, you know, and it's, um, it's very, very different. You have much more freedom and I can only agree with anything you said i was very happy to have you on i think we have to wrap it up now there are many many more topics we could talk about and i'm sure we will and i'll just ask the listeners um what they like the best and what they want to know more about and then i'll have you back on and help them with a little bit of their struggle and i've thank you so much that you joined again for anyone listening just head over to easypeasysourcing.com slash two and there you find all the resources everything that neil and karen talked about And you have all the links and can subscribe to the show as well. So just head over to edpcsourcing.com slash two to find all the show notes to this episode. Or just go to privatelabeluniversity.com and check out what they do. Great. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, Thank it's been, you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and we really appreciate uh, having us on. Thank you so much. And yes, anyone who wants more information and want to find us, you can uh, check us out on our website at uh, privatelabeluniversity.com. Wow, what a great interview. Uh, thank you, Neil and Karen, again for being on the show. And if you want to hear more of those interviews, if you want to learn more and get some more of those hacks, just subscribe to the Easy Peasy Sourcing podcast. Head over to easypeasysourcing.com slash iTunes or find us on Stitcher or go to uh, your Google App Store. So wherever you, you like to subscribe, wherever you usually listen to your podcasts, head over Easy Peasy Sourcing and subscribe to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for taking your time out of the day. Today we went a little bit longer than usual. So very much appreciate that you joined this episode. Thank you very much and have an awesome day.